season two of discovery in my opinion is arguably the best single season of star trek any show i loved that so much and that's the show that's the season that brings pike mm. and spock and mm-hmm. to a far lesser degree number one into the storyline i think it was like right after i watched the second season i went to san diego comic-con ran into david avalone as you do and <laughs> um we got to talking about star trek as you do and he was talking about how great Pike was because he was like the instant Pike showed up, he showed up on the bridge of discovery and immediately asked everybody's names. Like immediately was like, tell me your name, tell me your name. And he's like, these were all characters who for the entire first season pretty much didn't have names because no one ever asked them. And it was never established until Pike showed up. Hello, and welcome to a new Popsicle pop-up. This is an irregular series where the Popsicle team, at least some of them, break down stories that we, for whatever reason, just couldn't resist talking about. Basically, it means that one or more of us is dying to discuss something new because we liked it that much. Today's Popsicle pop-up is about the season finale of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, A Quality of Mercy, and its companion episode, Balance of Terror, from the original series. Today's Popsicle group is myself, your host today, Lisa K. Weber. I am joined by Justin Penniston. Hello, Justin. Hello. Claire Thorne. Hello. Hi. (laughs) That's not a question. That was a definitive. Hello. (laughs) Philip Kelly. Howdy. Yo. (laughs) And today we have special guest nerds and writing power couple, Susan and Tilly Bridges. They write for TV. They've written for the Hugo Awards. They own Pendant Audio Productions and they are Star Trek super fans just like us. Hey guys, how you doing? Hello. We're doing great. Thanks for inviting us. This is super fun. We're excited. We're excited (laughs) to dig in. All right. So if you're listening to this, I mean... You've probably watched the episode. If you haven't, we're going to spoil the shit out of it. So enter at your own peril. Um, Also, I hope everyone has girded their loins for the amount of nerdiness that is about to happen. Because holy (laughs) shit, we're about to dive deep. Um, Okay, so let's get started. Um, Just kind of like as a whole this first season of Strange New Worlds, I felt like was particularly Mm. meant for people who love the original series. Like I felt like they've made this show for us. Um, There's so many references to it made throughout the entire first season, Um, but arguably none more direct than this finale. Um, We OG fans immediately recognized Balance of Terror as soon as Pike hopped into the future. So, I'll just kick it off by asking, how does this version of the Enterprise versus the Romulan Bird of Prey stack up to the original in your eyes? Justin is looking up at his Justin's looking eyebrows. Justin's looking up, collecting thoughts. Well, so my first thought is how much Balance of Terror established what Star Trek would be going forward. I don't think, I, I, and I might be miss, missing the the order, but uh, of episodes wrong. But I don't. I, I I feel like Balance of Terror is the point when you really got that sense of 
This is Horatio Hornblower. This is, you know, a certain style of captaining and crewing mm. reminiscent of, you know, uh, ships that start with HMS, you know, <laughs> and like, like that promise of the premise uh, of Star Trek was really fulfilled in that way. Um, it's also a really important episode for Kirk in that in the earliest episodes of the original series, you know, when they're still kind of finding their way, Kirk feels like a sort of, I don't want to say generic, but he hasn't really found that Kirk persona yet. Mm -hmm. And here, I think we really get to the core, we start getting to the core of who Kirk is in Balance of Terror. And it's not necessarily who we always remember him to be. Like, you know, we always, like conventional wisdom says that Kirk is this character who loves to break the rules, who's a maverick because it's fun, who, you know, like, and it ignores the fact that what Kirk is, is this tactical genius who trusts himself, you know? And has that particular that has he has that arrogance of genius, and people don't think of Kirk as a genius because Spock is there. But you know, and I really loved more than anything else that that version of Kirk is who we get in a quality of mercy. You know, yeah. you know, Sam describes him as you know this guy who loves to bend the rules, but that's not the guy we see. No, Kirk yeah, is and I presented really yeah. seriously, and I really loved that. Yeah, which is and like watching the two together, it was like I thought it was funny that at one point Pike says to Kirk, "Like we can't afford pride right now," and I'm like, "That's the pot calling the kettle black," because I felt like Pike was being super prideful this entire episode. Like he was so sure that what he was doing is the right thing, and that he needed to. He even says in his log at one point, "I need to stop Kirk." Like, or is this what I'm here to do? Is it to stop Kirk? And Kirk is like, yes, being kind of the most like, he's not really, I don't feel in this or in Balance of Terror that he's necessarily operating on ego. Um, he's I being mean, super pragmatic, they, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I found this, like, I found it a really interesting character study in the way they kind of compared and contrasted Kirk and Pike while while mirroring exactly the relationship with the Romulan captain mm. and um, that it was like both of these kind of tactics connected to the Romulan captain in different ways, but made him feel the same way. I just thought that was like really interesting to, to really see how Pike fucked it up. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing, and then I promise to shut up for a while. <laughs> and just what I really loved, I love this decision by the, the powers that be behind New Trek. I love that, you know, that Commander Hansen from Balance of Terror becomes Hansen Alcala. Mm -hmm. I love that the Praetor, who's referred to as a man multiple times in Balance of Terror, just happens to be a woman. I love that they've decided we do not, we need to adhere 
to the spirit of what the original Trek was. And, you know, doing something simple like changing the gender or race or the way the tech looks, that's not breaking the canon. That's simply doing what we should be, have done all along. And Gene Roddenberry himself started that by redesigning the Klingons for the motion picture, you know? And I think that's what Star Trek has, has always done and should always do. Yeah, I think it's it's important that they're doing that because, um, you know, Star Trek always had idic and it was always very forward about infinite diversity and infinite combinations for the non-nerds out there. Um, <laughs> and it's always been very much about equality and um, justice, but uh, the show didn't always live up to its own ideals because it was made by flawed people in a flawed culture, right? So um, who are blind to certain forms of right, their own and so privilege. even though absolutely it did a lot of great things, going back to the original series, it was still really sexist a lot of the times. And mm. um, while the cast was much more diverse, uh, diverse than I think you would see in a lot of shows in the '60s, it still pales by today's comparisons. There's so many cis white men everywhere, right? Mm. So doing things like um, swapping the Praetor to be a woman and changing the race of some characters is really important because if you don't do that, you are not staying true to the heart of what Star Trek is and what it was meant to be. And if you want to be Star Trek, you have to do that because those are the ideals the show was always put forward. So I love that it's doing those things. Um, and I think Justin uh, was right on the money when he said that Balance of Terror was um, sort of set the tone for the show going forward. This is what the show is because they also stated outright uh, when Kirk, he has that line that bigotry has no place on the bridge, right? Mm. That wasn't subtle. That's not subtext. He's, mm -hmm. They're telling you outright what this show is. So um, that was really cool. And I think some of my favorite parts um, outside of those things uh, from the finale was the uh, the reuse of the music, the shots. They even mirrored some of the lighting, yeah. you know, with oh, the, God, the, yeah. the bar of light across their yeah. eyes. And, yeah. Oh my um, God, I know. Amazing. I loved that. I, love that. I, I really yes. love that. Yeah, it's good yeah. stuff. I also really like the... Um, how they kind of doubled down on how everyone was suddenly afraid of Spock. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. in the, uh, yeah. the TOS episode, it was actually a little more subtle. And mm. I felt like everyone turned to <laughs> Spock. Yeah. That was just really good. <laughs> and, um, you know, also with Spock being like, yeah, we should attack. If they're anything like Vulcans, we should attack them. And that was yeah. really interesting well, to me. You know, actually that, that brings up another interesting point that I was gonna say is that Star Trek is always about uh, compromise, talk, diplomacy. It's, sure. it's non-violence first always, mm -hmm. right? And so, but this whole episode is kind of the antithesis of that where it's like you needed the violence to prevent further violence. And um, the way I sort of interpret that, and I think it's so, so, so timely that they did this right now in the climate that we're in um, politically, um, that if there are no consequences for horrible, horrible actions, they will continue. They will never stop if you don't force consequences upon the people. Like we've been waiting years for these January 6th hearings to start and, and somebody to be held accountable, right? Because if you don't, they're just going to get worse. They're going to keep doing it. So um, to me, that made it really, really super timely. And I, I mean, I know they shot it a while back, but uh, it it's perfectly encapsulates the the era we're in now. I think so. Yeah, Sometimes I think that's part of like have, that's yeah. like Star Trek just is timeless for that reason because it recognizes it recognizes humanity throughout all of its history, 
and it so it can be talking about you know a specific trauma of its time but it's still imminently relatable to our time because we just experience an endless cycle of trauma and so it's always kind of there to help process like that's part of the timeless nature of star trek of the universe of star trek i feel like and the stories told inside of it. I think too that, I mean, going back to what Justin and everyone else has said about the importance of understanding that the Star Trek universe is one in which we should always be re-looking at the things that came before in order to recognize and understand how we need to improve now. But I hope that we also understand that we're fans of the show because it's also about recognizing that, you know, even right now, this show is being crafted by imperfect people who have unrecognized biases in Mm -hmm. this moment. And that, and that it's not just about looking back to the past and going, oh, okay, we've identified you know, A, B, and C, and now we have put A, B, and C, you know, we've corrected that in what we're doing and we are, we're putting these things into the story and representing them. Um, but it should also be about always running through who we are today through this prism, this, this, uh, filter of who should we be, who, who do we want? What do we want humanity to be? Should we somehow succeed in surviving? <laughs> 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 and that, yeah. that is an everyday, like, it's not something that we just think that we have accomplished. It is something that we should be asking ourselves every single day, re, you know, processing it always. And always with the assumption that we are, we need to question why we're making the, you know, decisions that we are. Yeah. Like we, I mean, the expectation of perfection is something that is harmful. (laughs) Um, Nobody's perfect. Nobody ever will be. Nobody ever should be because we need to constantly be learning. We need to constantly be growing and constantly be bettering ourselves. And so the fact that it's like, yes, we go through these processes and we learn new language and we learn more empathy um, that, you know, it's always more though, like where we are now, it's not all fixed, obviously. Like, you know, where we are now is where we are now. It's better than where we were before. And it's worse than where we will be in the future, hopefully. (laughs) Um, So it's like, Yeah. And I mean, like, as far, like for what you're saying, Claire, like, I mean, the reason I, I mean, I got into Star Trek as a kid because I was going through a hard time and, um, Star Trek became like a salve to me and like made me feel better when I was down. Um, not down, not just down about myself, but down about the world, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, it's, it like, cause like you're saying, it is this kind of vision of like taking all the information we have right now, um, and postulating a possibility of a future like this. Um, and so it always cheers me up and always makes me feel better. Um, and that's, 
you know, why I love it as much as I do. So it's like, yeah, I mean, just to, just to bolster what you're saying, Claire, that it's like, yeah, it's, it shows us a worthy goal, which I think mm-hmm. Pike does too, even though he fails, his goal is worthy, you know? And it's, Kirk even says it. Yeah. 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 So sure. You tried for something better, he says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's literally, literally everything you guys just said, literally, I mean, is the theme of Star Trek. <laughs> yes, it is about yeah. discovering about new things. But more than that, Star Trek has always been, since its inception, about struggling to be worthy of this bright future, about <laughs> our you know individual and societal struggles to improve and be worthy of the possibilities. And that's why, you know, that's why I love these versions you know i love this modern new trek so much more than i liked you know abram's trek you know because i felt like abram's trek sort of really leaned into the isn't space fun as opposed to the isn't you know isn't it hard to be a person you know (laughs) exactly exactly I think Philip, what really... do you have to say? You haven't said oh, anything. Uh, I'm enjoying listening to this more than anything. You all are so smart. <laughs> You're all so smart about Star Trek. I, I love it. Um, because it's not a world that I it's a world I left for a while. Um, and Strange New Worlds has brought me back in in a big way. Uh so I haven't been as um blanketed with it over the last few years as maybe a lot of you have. Um, but there was Justin and I were having a conversation about Pike a few episodes back after the episode where it came out uh, about uh, Una. Um, You know, she's, uh, you know, people uh, are, you know, in the Star Trek universe are bigoted towards, uh, you know, this, this, uh, yeah, yeah, Illyrians. Yeah. Thank you. Um, And there was something that occurred to me in, in talking with Justin was that even though Pike was on her side, he wasn't actively on her side. He was yep. like, well, if something should happen, I'll be there for you. He wasn't like, I'm going to be actively trying to help you right now in dealing with this and changing this. And we see the outcome of that inaction in this episode. In this, and I think that's a flaw, an interesting flaw that carries over into this episode as a whole kind of examining Pike is that he is inactive in needing to do the thing maybe that he needs to do, not out of a, not, not out of a lack of love or it's more that love and compassion in, in this instance of not wanting to like create more violence from violence, but it's also not understanding the full consequences of what's happening in the moment or what could come of in action in that moment. And I find that a really interesting flaw that's being explored in Pike versus Kirk's sort of like, okay, everybody in this room says I should attack. Let me, uh, maybe I should consider that all the people in this room who, you know, uh, are being affected by this thing, maybe I should listen and do something about it. And Pike is like, well, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do this maybe my way first. Uh, And so there's a real interesting contrast that's created between the two characters in this episode um, and in in sort of maybe Pike's character flaw um, that as, you know, well-meaning a, a captain as he is he's not perfect yet and so that I, I found that to be a really interesting sort of uh examination of his character in this mm-hmm. 
I would yeah, like to give a shout out to Paul Wesley for taking on, oh yes, I'm going to play yet another version of Kirk and put myself out there for a comparison to the Shatnerness, Shatneriness of, you know, what you could do with that. I thought he was really good as Kirk. He was, and he totally brought his own thing to it. It wasn't, he wasn't trying to be William Shatner. He was very much his own yeah. version, which I appreciated. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I I love that. I, uh, no, totally I was getting ready to say something, and I. That's okay. Uh, I was just going to say that um, what Pike has is performative allyship, and I've never mm-hmm. seen that done well in uh, any show I can think of, much less Star Trek. And I think that's a really great and very very important um, character flaw for them to explore with him. Um, for him to learn the difference between saying you're an ally and actually being one, and standing mm-hmm. up for what's right. So um, that meant a lot to me. I thought that was really good. You had something else you were going to say? You know, I felt like it's an interesting line with this episode because, you know, Kirk fires blindly at the Romulans, I mean, (laughs) and comes off a lot more aggressive. And Pike is more like by the book Starfleet trying to deal with this. And I don't think it's a question of who's the better captain because mm-hmm. they're both very valid yeah and depending on the enemy and the situation and the situation yeah and and it just makes me think about how you know like what justin was saying it's like there's always going to be this fight there's always going to be the bully that you have to stand up to yep that the normal so-called ways aren't going to work with kind of thing and you're not going to know which ones those are so I yeah. thought that was a really interesting line to kind of tread. And I mean, later Deep Space Nine, you know, with war and everything. Yeah. These are all things that Star Trek explores in much more detail later on. Yeah. But I just- or previously. But this is kind of the first time, I think, since this is a pretty early TOS episode where they're like, sometimes the Federation way doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. Well, I mean, because, you know, you can't ask a bully to stop punching you in the face that's just going to egg them on that doesn't work that way right Right, so it it's all context dependent you have to sometimes you have to stand up and fight back that's the only way to you know protect the people that need protecting it's also and it's always fascinating when it's like when you're shown examples of the right answer is to choose violence you know it's it's always just like oh uh i'm not used to that in my entertainment necessarily like um i mean certainly not from star trek not from star trek yeah yeah and so like to explore that more deeply that it's like in that way where it's like okay but what about when violence is the right answer well right it's like and how are you supposed like you're saying how are you supposed to know the difference how are you supposed to know it's which is like, which I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. If you look so. back at like um, uh, World War II and how long the U.S. stayed out of the war and tried diplomatic channels, it, you have to stand up and fight back sometimes because it's the right thing to do because the stuff that's going on is too bad and it has to be stopped now. Mm-hmm. So and um, yeah, yeah. I was going to just add to that the the balance of terror goes out of its way to show that there's a difference between taking violence in action and cruelty. Kirk is ready right. to beam aboard all of the survivors 
yep. from the ship great, he just put yeah, down. That's a great point. Um, like yeah. he's not willing to just like murder endlessly. You know, exactly. he's like, all right, we won. You guys are stopped. Come on over. Uh, we'll yeah, take care like of your the wounded. Fact that and... it, he's like immediately, like yeah. as soon as it happens, yeah. he's like, open a channel. Let's get you over here. Yeah. Like, yeah, no hesitation. Do, I do want to say, I, one of the things, because Pike stood up for what he believed in, in that conference room. And he was the guy who got to make the decision. And he made the decision that disagreed with what everyone else said, except for Dr. Mbenga. Yeah. Um, and Bones in yes, and, yeah. Chair yeah. was yeah. also, yeah. yeah. But um, <laughs> like the fact that there's no such thing as conventional wisdom does not necessarily mean con- that they're right. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And there is, I mean, you know, Captain America famously says, you know, just because everyone tells you you're wrong doesn't mean you are. If you know that you're right, you need to stand up for that. Mm-hmm. And that's what Pike was doing. You know, he knew he was right, you know? And so like, I, I am mad at him for that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like maybe he, it was the wrong call because he didn't understand, you know, exactly who he was up against. Right, right. But, but they really did an excellent job of making Pike wrong yet admirable. Yeah. in this you know well, and i think that comes back to like you can go back to the world war ii holocaust analogy there in examining just humanity's ability to recognize the true nature of evil in the first place and that's something that i think it's why we talk about you know why all of these themes are so important because how we educate ourselves about the nature of evil is so critical to our ability to do what Tilly is talking about when you know she's talking about the difference between being a an an ally in words versus an ally in actions because it's i think it is fundamentally difficult for humans to really understand the true scope of evil. And I think that's something that these, you know, balance of terror is talking about, you know, there, there are the people who are stereotyping Romulans. And then there's also acknowledgement that, okay, well, we haven't interacted with these people for a hundred years. So we don't know, you know, what they are, who they are, what they're going to do. And that kind of innate human desire to want to believe that the world can't be as bad as the, the warning signs might, you know, should be leading us, you know, to believe that's a tough call. And I think that goes to the heart of, you know, understanding how both Pike and Kirk can make such different decisions, right? And they're both understandable and very human and so interesting to look back on in 2020 hindsight or, you know, in these 
you know, magical circumstances <laughs> of, <laughs> of Klingon time crystals. Time crystals. Time crystals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so delightful. Um, yeah, it is, it, it, it's such a worry. It, I've always been so concerned and I, I guess pessimistic in a way, and that's something I battle with, right? About the abil- hum- humanity's ability to see the next thing coming and recognize it for how bad it, it really is and, and act accordingly, which again, I don't think we're doing adequately. Well, humans but- are smart, humanity is dumb. <laughs> some, some humans are smart. Right. <laughs> You don't speak for me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Can we have a segment here where we talk about, rate, analyze the different depictions of single eyebrow raises? Yes, Spock and their portrayer. Let's talk about let's talk about Spock because another thing I really loved about this is that it really like it really puts Spock at the center of the star trek universe like where he belongs his fate exactly exactly his fate is way more important than anyone else's really and i love that they really centered him in that way and that it's like i also like that it's like they're they're because this is an earlier version of spock they're really leaning into his half humanness a lot because it's that bridge that makes him able to barter peace almost wherever he goes is that he's bridging these things inside of himself already. And so the fact that they're leaning really hard into that and then center him in this way in the finale where it's like, oh, he is like, this is all for you, Spock. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I, I love, so let's, let's have at it. Let's talk about Spock. Well, I think that's great. And the more that they can, I guess, sort of uh, hit home on how important he is um, to their universe, but also to the entire franchise. He's the Darth Vader of Star Trek, right? He's not not in terms of character, but I mean, in recognizability and the way yeah. he has a cultural impact. Everybody knows who the hell Spock is, mm-hmm. even if they've never watched Star Trek, Star Trek, you know, oh, he's the guy with the ears. Yeah. Okay. He's all logical. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, even more than Kirk, you know, who is very iconic in his own right. Um, Spock has always been the heart of what Star Trek is. And so um, I've loved Ethan Peck's portrayal since going back to disco. I, I, I was very hesitant at first because I was like, I don't know, you know, how that's going to go. But uh, he really sold me on it. I just I love him as Spock so much. I hope we get to keep seeing him uh, in the role for a very long time to come. Yes. Same. And I'm I'm gonna argue. I'm just gonna go there and say I think he out eyebrowed Leonard Nimoy <gasps> because he. Oh, wow. I'm just wow. saying he achieved. <laughs> wow. He wow. achieved a true single eyebrow lift. And when you're I watching say, Balance of Terror again, Leonard Nimoy, it's it's like a a joint eyebrow lift. It's not the one. I so will just, say this about wow. that moment of like when Ethan Peck did it because we hadn't really seen him do it yet. <laughs> and so the fact that he did it right then and there, you know, same spot where it happened in Balance of Terror. Um, like my body exploded in joy. <laughs> 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 
Wow, that yes. was really yes. well phrased. It, that well, was I, I, I try and describe what happens in my body as viscerally as possible. There was a physiological but... response. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was like, though. and so it was like the kind of buildup, and then you're not really expecting it, and then it happens, <laughs> and it's like, ah, it was awesome. Yeah. He's, um, you can do a really interesting uh, comparison uh, directly between the two, not just with the eyebrow, but um, I think it's in the conference scene where he's got the exact lines that Leonard Nimoy mm -hmm. has in Balance of Terror. Yeah. And yeah. you can see the performance uh, nuances between the two of them. And that's, it's really cool to see the different, like they're both completely Spock, but there's slight variations in it. And uh, I don't know, it's really cool. Do we that's see in, in Quality of Mercy, do we see Ethan run, Spock run? Because I'm just saying, I noted in rewatching Balance of Terror, this, runs a little, yeah, this, a little... scene, this scene where Spock <laughs> runs back to help the dude, he's, yeah. he's yeah. got a wonky run. Yeah, it's does. adorable. Yeah, it's yeah. so Leonard adorable. Nimoy, his, he, I mean, he, he's got a, this Spock jog that we see, <laughs> you know, time and again in, in, in the original series. And um, yeah, I think <laughs> the truth is, I don't want I don't want Ethan Peck to run because I know that <laughs> Ethan Peck is look Ethan Peck's just a slightly sexier man than Leonard Nimoy was. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he's just you know more more I'm classically sexy. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think there will be a you know there will be a George Clooneyness to his run that I don't need in Spock. You know, <laughs> you know? but it's not all about you, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> straight exactly thank you tilly you know yeah. what i'm okay seeing him run when, when i'm the only one at the conference table saying don't do, don't attack i still feel like i, I am right. <laughs> right um seriously though i think um tilly gets to the heart of i think we were talking about this on mike and maybe i mentioned it a little bit here but ethan peck is not doing leonard nimoy no just as paul no. wesley wasn't doing William Shatner, and none of them were doing Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto, you know, and they are interpreting the characters for themselves and thus getting to the heart of the character without giving us a reenactment of what the other actors did. And I freaking love it. Yeah. I love it. It is exactly the right instinct. If they didn't do that, it would it would devolve into caricature really soon, yep. and then that would pull you out of yeah. it would pull you right out of the story every time. Yep. So yeah. they have to yeah. be authentic, exactly. like to what it is they choose to do. I also really liked um, it, in Anson Mount's performance how different his older version was. His older version yeah. was so much yeah. more subdued yeah. and like so much like and like quieter. And I really I liked that. But still equally hot, like he was just as good looking. <laughs> and and I appreciated Anson Mount's performances and, and the direction, I think, in the story, in the moments where, like immediately after he hears the kid's name and it he focuses, you know, in on that like panic attack moment and how that was portrayed. And then also when he is, going into sick bay and see to mm -hmm. see spock it those moments were depictions of trauma in a way that i you know star trek doesn't typically mm -hmm. give us you know those like 
turn in and feel this person's um, moment of panic. Just like, let's, let's sit in the panic for a moment. We're not going to push right forward to the, the hard scene or the, okay, I'm going to steal myself and get, you know, be ready to go do this. You really sat in his in his panic. Feelings. There's no other yeah. word for it. Yeah. Just his, yeah. Feelings and his inability to really act. He's not captainy in those moments. He, you feel like he can't talk or act or, or like do something. And, and that that's, I love that. Well, one of the great things about his character and Anson Mount's performance is that Pike is very rarely captainy. Mm-hmm. Like how many captains so routinely during a crisis refer to their crew by their first names but he does it all the time you know um and like i really dig how pike is an atypical captain in that way he's just looser and more familiar i mean familial and and sort of i mean Look, people have been calling Picard space dad for a long time. Yes. But, but he never wore Pike an apron. More, he never more wore, paternal than Picard. Yeah, he never, Picard never wore an apron and cooked someone waffles. Yeah. Right, to the know. best of yeah. my knowledge. Yeah. And Pike well, has worn several Napa, aprons. It happened. Oh. <laughs> In my head. I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought very much about how making Pike a chef slash cook really spoke to his nurturing familial quality as a captain um, and how much it suited the fact that he had cadets in prominent roles on his ship, you know? Um, and am I the only one who squeed just a little seeing the Strange New Worlds version of the Wrath of Khan era uniform? Oh no, that was that so good. You were not the only yeah. one. I was no, like, yeah, I, I was definitely like, squeed. <laughs> That is so badass looking. But am yeah. I also the only one who longs for someone to bring back the motion picture era costumes? I mean, I know they're horrible, but I still kind of love them. You are the and only I, one, yes. Yes, I want, I, want, you know, I want to see those drab, you know, blue and beige uniforms again. I do. Yeah. Yeah, no, Justin, I, you're talking about how different of a captain Pike is. It really, it's just so delightful to be given an example of a strong, decisive personality who can lead at the same time that they're being nurturing. Yeah. It's the, the, to, to be reminded that being a, a leader is not polar opposites to being nurturing yes yes Yes. this gets to the core of something that means a lot to me in fiction always toughness is not masculine being nurturing is not feminine thank you just those things if there's yeah yeah, if there's anything in this season that is is feminist it's (laughs) it's that it's it's something at the core of a male character and that needs to be done more and more and more and more it's he hasn't raised his voice until this episode. 
Uh, I don't. Yeah, believe. when he yelled yeah. at Ortega, yeah. I, that was like, he was like noticeable. Stand down. I was like, whoa, like, oh, whoa, all right. Dad's mad. Yeah, yeah dad is, that is, <laughs> he's, he's a little upset right now. Lisa, um, has yeah. your has your opinion of Ortega changed in it any has. way? It has. I, I, and I had a feeling that I was going to grow <laughs> to like Ortega, and I have, especially with that like fantasy episode with when um, it all turned into a fairy tale. Oh God, yeah. Um, I was like, oh, okay, I love Ortega now. Um, and even when she was kind of like, she was kind of taking on the role in this episode of the Styles character where she's being like, really kind of like, you know, a racist like antagonist, yeah, racist, racist towards yeah, Spock. Yeah. I'm like, that's tough. Like, it's always kind of tough when you take a relatively new character and make them antagonistic towards a beloved character. Yeah. I'm like, that's, that's tough. That's, mm -hmm. um, but they had done enough work like building Ortega's character throughout the season that I was like, I know this is just like a future vision. It's not actually who Ortega is in this show. And they right also, now. they, Ortega is not as overtly racist as Styles was. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think yeah. also helped. Styles was like, you know, he was almost, you know, I always say I didn't, I never wanted Tarantino to direct a Star Trek film because I don't know what I want. I don't want to know what the racial epithets for Vulcans are. <laughs> and, you know, Styles was ready to give it to me back then, yeah. you know, yeah. like, you know. Yeah. But uh, it's a shade of something we've seen already in this series with the Gorn. I mean, it, people are allowed this, like, just universal, like, the Gorn are this, this thing. And we universally will only see them as this particular thing. And that might be right. I don't, you know what I mean? Like we've, Ortegas isn't the first person in this, on the ship to, to have a just like complete blanket fear of a, a, another species, I guess, is maybe the right way to put it. Mm -hmm. So they're tackling it on like multiple fronts also this is a theme that's being tackled on the orville for anybody I was just watching the orville say, like it's pretty... i was just gonna say about the ortega's spock dynamic mm -hmm. if you want an example of it done really badly yeah. <laughs> so far anyway the season of the orville i can't remember the name of that character who just got introduced this season yeah and she's antagonistic towards Isaac and I'm like how are we ever supposed to like this character now she's horrible yeah the and I know reason they're trying to make us like her and I'm like I can't she's so horrible <laughs> the only reason the character exists so far is to be like just blindly to to be Ortegas in the moment about the Romulans that's where yeah. all she is yeah and I'm and just like I keep thinking no. we're gonna get an episode coming up of like you know obviously they're going to address that head on and, and bring a moment of conciliation or something, but like, I'm how expecting that too, but they keep on not doing it. And I'm yeah, like, I'm keep we'll on see. with this attitude. All right. Anyway, sorry, Orville offshoot. Yeah. We're not talking about in that. an otherwise very strong, like story yes. on the Orville. I don't yes. want to make it sound like the Orville is just like, cause like the no, storyline the that they're doing fantastic. Kill it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but we're anyway. talking about strange Start, new worlds. Yes, yes, I, we are. Yeah. You know, one thing I was curious about when the first season first started was that, well, we know Pike, we know what his end is. How are we going to get the traction out of this 
series, it, I mean, it has to be about the crew. It has to be about what the crew is going through and kind of, I think we see the culmination of that sort of idea pay off in this episode in that um, Pike realizes that he's not the most important person in his life. Uh, yeah. He's not the, the most important person at, really at all. You know, I mean, like, yes, he is important and what he does is important and will have consequences. Um, and that's, I think his realizing, well, you know, I'm going to die and I can't stop that. But while I'm alive, I'm going to make sure I amplify now. And I think he's gotten to that point now. I need to start making these decisions for my crew and fighting for my crew and who they are. And I think season two is going to really be more about, at least they're setting it up to be more about that. And so yeah. I think I think the show has really handled his sort of um, yeah, coming coming who he is yeah. and what he should what he's going to be next uh, was it's really interesting. Nice. Yeah, I was thinking that too because it's like he he comes to this realization about the consequences of you know his choices and how like crew comes first in this way and then it ends with the arrest of Una and I mean it the whole season ends with him like being like this ain't over you know like he's about to and in the other in the other timeline he just (laughs) seems to have let it go like Una's been gone Uh for seven years and it's like he's been I saved my life um I'm gonna go on being me and fighting this fight and bye Una like and I was like, oh, yeah, that's what? an interesting point. I was like, yeah. what yeah. kind of person did Pike become well, when he no, said he could him? have he could have simply lost and maybe fight. could have not, that's you, true. You, you, maybe. Can't, you can't just assume that. we don't know no. that. didn't. But 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 the uh, sudden... one thing we know is that you can this episode is all about trying to do the right thing and failing. Right. So, yeah. You know, so well, and the sudden need to be uh, consumed with a huge, you know, galaxy spanning war probably might have taken away maybe. a little bit um, as well. But I do but think Una it's was very... gone years before. Una I was do... in prison years before that. Oh, okay. Well, in any case, um, the it's very interesting to me that we end up with a story about a person's acceptance that they cannot be everyone's savior. They cannot stop all of the bad things, you know, and accepting that, you know, to do the things that he can do leads us to the moment where he is going to start taking meaningful, active, you know, he's going to stop being a passive ally to Una and start being what he needs to be for her. That's just very interesting. I do hope to me in season two that that whole story is not simply from Pike's perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. My biggest issue with this season is that Una Chin Riley wasn't given a whole lot of agency. Like the only episode that centered on her centered not on her as a character, but as her as a minority. You know what I mean? And like, I still don't know what's important to number one. I still don't know like what she's into. I don't know who Mm -hmm. she is. I don't know what she will do when confronted with certain scenarios. You know, like she is to me, the most undefined character on the show. And I hope that they correct that because, you know, she was poised to become, 
you know, Star Trek was planned initially with her as the first officer. Yep. And like that was taken away from her because she was a woman, you know, literally. And I would like, I feel like that character deserves to get the story she always should have had. And that was, that to me is the missing element from this season. That, and I really want my Ortegas centric episode because I, (laughs) since I first saw those shaved sides, I'm like, girl, I'm all about it. You know, (laughs) like, so I hope that both of those two in particular really get to have stories that they are at the center of and that their perspectives matter uh, for in the second season. That's my big wish. Here's a question for everyone in that in that regard, then do you wish you had more than 10 episodes this season? Absolutely. Or do you always I didn't yeah. realize this was the finale until Phil texted the next day being like, oh, that was a great finale. And I was like, what? <laughs> that was it? You mean there's not another one? Next well, they, they, week? they've already finished shooting the second season, I think. Yes. Fast. Yeah. So, yeah like there. Oh, does that mean yeah. that it's coming out like really, really soon? Probably not. <laughs> no. No, it'll be it's... 2023 sometime. Shit. <laughs> it will be it will likely be after the next season of discovery yeah um they, yeah they're trying and to the next season, it like our, the next season you know it's um discovery? i there's a trend in streaming now right for all these short order seasons and yeah. um it's Ooh. hard especially hard with star trek because um you have so much less time with the characters in yeah. episodes that aren't earth shattering you know you don't mm-hmm. you don't have that time to just uh hang out with them and get to th- know them in mm-hmm. a in a really bonkers episode that makes no sense which star trek right. is well known for and i love all of those <laughs> yes, yes. um and so, i felt like yeah tng really benefited from that too right like, and so absolutely. i definitely miss that especially in star trek but i did really like the return to a mostly episodic uh format i love the serialization that deep space nine started in that disco and picard have been doing but um you know the original series and next gen uh voyager uh most well like half of enterprise a lot of it was uh it was episodic it, that's built into star trek's uh you know whole um concept go visit a new culture every week and learn about mm-hmm. you know different people and so that that was i really liked having that aspect of star trek back and i love that star trek now is big enough that we can have all of this at the same time for everybody right there's you can have your serialization you can have bringing old characters back you can have episodic you can have uh, an animated show for kids that introduces them to the universe in a perfect way and uh, i just i love it all it's great same mm-hmm. same i was thinking as i was like because i was like strange new worlds is so for like old school fans like it's so made for old school fans and I'm like I agree completely with what you just said that it was like oh they're able to do that because they have the kind of big overarching stories of Discovery and Picard to kind of like bring in the more kind of like modern storytelling style that they have a little bit more freedom to kind of go back to episodic storytelling Mm -hmm. with this and And yes i agree more episodes i want my 22 episode season (laughs) it's gonna be like this because they're not telling a big story yeah there's no reason for them to limit the episode count in this way exactly well i mean i I don't want to sacrifice the money that they're putting into visuals though either because you know, if, if we get 20 episodes, but we don't get that asteroid, that reinterpretation of the outpost, which was 
so stunning and phenomenal. Like, yeah, I, I want, I want the, the quality of visuals that we're getting. Don't you worry. I don't know if those are correlated. They're good for it. Yeah. I don't know that those things are, uh, you can have this or you can have this. I'm not saying that. I just, yeah, I want it all. I I would like 22 (laughs) episodes. I don't think 13, 15, 16 is out of the question. You know, Disco was 13 episodes until just next more season. more than fucking that 10. That was because of Netflix, only though. Only 10? They only, Disco only had 13 because they originally had a deal with Netflix for 13 episodes. And so they agreed to make 13, then Netflix would carry them. And now that everything's going to Paramount+, Plus, uh, everything's dropping down to 10. So, so yeah. Although I will say I loved that we already knew who Pike was. Like, mm-hmm. that was great. We start the show, we already know him. You have a frame of yeah. reference, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. There was, a, I felt, um, in a show that was so much for the longtime fans, right? I mean, I think it's still accessible to to new fans, but it, so much of this was about, hey, longtime Trekkies, we got mm-hmm. you, right? Yeah. And definitely. so I feel like the one little missed opportunity I would have loved to see in the finale is uh, I would have loved to see the uh, Romulan commander played by James Frain mm-hmm. and have Spock say, hey, he looks kind of <laughs> like my dad, right? Yeah. Because Mark Leonard played... <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sarek and um, anyway, that was yeah. awesome. like that would have been. The I best warned everybody on. listening. We were about to go real deep in our nerdy and of course shit. it was me that took you there. <laughs> Look, I have been. I know I've been saying it all season. I've said it. I know I said another pop up. Yeah, but I don't know why. And Jess Bush is fantastic. I love her. I'm glad she's there. But why couldn't Rebecca Remain have been both Nurse Chapel and Number One, <laughs> right? <laughs> and they just never address it. Do you know what I I'm want, saying? I want a scene between the two of them and the computer all talking together. And maybe there's like a, a, uh, a nobody ever mentioned how long uh, Beta Z lifespans are, right? So maybe there's also a young Luaxana awesome. uh, there. They can all I have a nice little scene together. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. That okay. Let's, I'm sorry, yeah. but there'd be so many nerd heads exploding. It would be, <laughs> it would be a bloodbath. Let but I do explore. adore the new Nurse Chapel. She's so yeah, she's good. Yeah. She's really good. She's fantastic. Yeah, she's I, great. I, I don't she kind of steals every scene she's she does. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. really does. Where's where's the little blonde with the interesting hair that just care, brings coffee? Dennis Ram? Yeoman. Yeoman. Yeah. Yeoman. 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 Yeah. Yeoman. I just link up to Kirk. Yeah, right. <laughs> she yeah. just like I shows so hard. Yeah. Shows yeah. up the, the way they hold each other after the it's so like, oh, let me spoon you on the bridge. Right I, um, now. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I dug into Janice Rand after watching Balance of Terror. Like I went and looked her up on Wikipedia and stuff. And the character was definitely intended to be Kirk's never quite consummated love interest. And yeah. like the the things that we see them do in this episode was the thing we're supposed to always see them do. But eventually they were like, look, we, we need Kirk to be, you know. Well, there was, and, there know. were a lot of unfortunate things happening behind the scenes with the actress. Um, and that's played a large part in it. Well, so. she, according to what I read, and I don't, I'm not, I don't know what's right. Do you know what I'm saying? But according to what I read, her issues kind of arose after being, after basically losing her Star Trek contract like getting into, you know, substance problems and stuff like that. That's what, well, I, that's at least what she says. There was a lot of uh, sexual harassment going on with her oh, yes, uh, behind yes. the scenes. So she, um, I can't see that happening at all. Which is actually given... common across multiple Star Trek shows. Sadly, but, uh, that right sadly. I mean, uh, Roddenberry yeah. took swings at, successfully or not, at um, 
was wasn't it Grace Lee Warren? Was that who played Whitney? Uh, I think Whitney. Grace yeah. Lee Whitney. Grace Lee Whitney. Yes, who played um, Ensign uh, Yeoman Rand. Also, Nichelle Nichols. Also, mm-hmm. Majel Barrett, who eventually mm-hmm. became Majel Roddenberry. Um, so yeah, you know, Roddenberry. A past. Know, he was. <laughs> he had his issues. Yeah. And and he's probably better than Rick Berman was. So. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> before we go down that dark path, let's let's end it on a light note. Yes, let's do that. <laughs> I agree. agree. So, so let's just go ahead and sign off. I will finish by saying you are all very important to me. And this was a great conversation. <laughs> and thank you for joining us. Before we go, Susan and Tilly, is there any kind of like promotional stuff you want to share with us? Things you got going on that you want the people to know? Uh, it's a whole lot of stuff that we can't talk about. Uh, we do write for the Star <laughs> Trek Adventures role-playing game though. Yes. Uh, we've written a bunch of stuff for them and have more on the way. Um, you can get a full list of all the stuff that we're working on uh, that we can talk about right now at uh, birdguest.com. And if you'd like to look me up on Twitter, you can find me at Silly Bridges. Yeah, and I'm Susan L. Bridges, I think. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. Okay, and, on, and, we're on Twitter all the time. And, I and just Justin say... and I would just like to note that we participate yes. in a Star Trek RPG, which is my first RPG experience of all time, that is... Uh, evilly run by what? Tilly Bridges because <laughs> who writes all she, of the material. Yeah. Who, who puts us into situations that are, uh, yeah. Terrifying frequently. Um, Justin just and I serve say, on different ships, yes. but yeah, we're, we've got, yeah. Claire and I have very different experiences because this is like my thousandth RPG experience. And I can say, if you're considering whether or not to pick up Star Trek Adventures materials, specifically that produced by the Bridges, then I'm having as much fun in Tilly's game as I have ever had in any game. Um, wow. Part of awesome. that is it's because the game really rewards bullshittery. And I <laughs> it does, really and you're good very good at, at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, it is a load of fun. We are having a blast, and you should get to the game and you should get the stuff that they're making because it is smart, well thought out, and fucking fun. So yeah. yes, I punched Beverly fun. Crusher. My you character. did punch her right in the face. Punched <laughs> Beverly Crusher. It in was the an face. accident. It was accidental. Yes, but that's how much fun we're having. So I'm gonna go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, everybody, check it out then, <laughs> wherever that can be checked out. You too can punch Dr. Crusher. That's right. Yeah, good adventure. time. Poor Gates. We good love time. her. It was an accident. Really. She's amazing. <laughs> All right. Uh, we will have a That Episode Was following Netflix's adaptation of Neil Gaiman's Sandman and a planned deep dive into Twin Peaks called That Gum You Like, plus more pop-ups whenever we feel like it. So follow us at Popsicle Pod on all social media or join our newsletter at popsiclepod.com. That's P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D. This has been a Popsicle Podcast production. Hi, I'm Justin Pennison from Popsicle. Recent events have been tough for America, especially the women of America. We at Popsicle stand for a woman's right to choose. And if you listen to us, I doubt you'll find that surprising. Speaking for myself, 
My wife and I have been monthly donors to Planned Parenthood and the ACLU for years, something we're extremely proud of. We're, they're two of the organizations at the forefront of the fight for body autonomy, and they can use your help now more than ever. I'm going to leave you with some powerful words from a woman in my life. Everyone at Popsicle hopes that you'll take these words to heart and find a way to join us in the fight. An abortion saved my life. I haven't really openly or publicly shared this, but now is not the time for secrets. Had I not chosen or been able to choose to terminate my pregnancy, the series of events that followed would have resulted in me being dead at 24 years old. I was in a relationship with someone I didn't want to be in a relationship with anymore. We would have been awful parents. We weren't really that great as a couple. I was terrified, heartbroken, and lost in the confusion that is standard issue for your early 20s. Today, I am a mother. I am a mother to a child that I wholeheartedly chose, the baby that I was ready for and deeply wanted. Children deserve parents who can give them their best. All children deserve to be chosen and wanted. How can a woman give her best to a child when her first thoughts of motherhood are anger, resentment, and grief? My sincere hope is that the anger and heartbreak in response to Roe v. Wade's demise will galvanize us to address the way that women are raised, are viewed, and how they are cared for and treated. I read that so that she, they wouldn't have to. Thank you for listening. Support Planned Parenthood and the ACLU. Support groups like Together Rising. It's time for progressives to get up off the mat. We're in your corner.